glad to see some of the people that, I've, that I know here, that I've known before. And I still can't get used to this pool pit. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans, book of Romans chapter 14. As the the last of the visiting preachers that came, that I know of, I guess I should say something on behalf of myself and them. I've already said something, but some of you weren't here. As to how much I've enjoyed being here, how much I've felt at home here. I felt like, you know, these are my kinfolks. These are my people. What a blessing it is. Isn't that a wonderful thing that I never knew most of you? And yet, after I've been with you for a few days, I feel like I'm leaving people I've known all my life. People that I've already just seemed to feel a love for. And I don't know about the way you feel about me, but I, I really love being here with y'all. Maybe a curse to you later on, but <laughs> but I certainly have enjoyed being here, and I certainly enjoyed the other preachers. What a blessing they were to me, and their wives were sweet and wonderful people too. And my wife's had a joyful time since she's been here, and uh, what a blessing it is to see. The love and fellowship we've enjoyed here. The meals, no use talking about that. We all know how that feels. You tasted the meals and, you, and you've eaten the food and you've felt, man, besides being here and coming and preaching and everything, I get to eat good too. What, a, what an amazing thing to be fed, be cared for, to be loved. And uh, I am so appreciative I want to speak to you this morning on the godly use of our liberty. It's like a continuation of what I was talking about yesterday. And I was speaking yesterday about the love that God's people ought to have one for another. In spite of even differences, in spite of all other things, we are commanded by the word of God to love one another. And so I want to speak to you this morning on the godly use of our liberty. Now what what am I talking about? It's... Particular things that we believe in our own little settings and that we hold to. They may be different from people in, in another group. But how do, we, how do we get along with these other people that differ with us on different issues? And let me tell you something. There are some differences in churches that have separated them where they don't even have fellowship one with another anymore. And it's a shame to see that. And so I want to preach on, on something this morning that, that should remind us of that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And even though we do have differences, I, I want to always speak whenever I preach on something like this. I want to make it well known to you right now before I ever start preaching on this that Christian liberty is not a license to sin. So I'm not speaking, first of all, about something that is directly said in Scripture to be sinful. Nobody has a liberty to do that. No one. So get out of your mind. I'm even talking about those things. Another thing is that when you speak of Christian liberty and 
talking about the things that we differ in, I like to emphasize that everyone feels just as strongly about what they believe as you do about what you believe. So don't count them as being just somebody who's just, you know, cutting dry, casting you off for no reason. Are you doing that to them? We, we, we have to give them some credit that they've deducted these things of what they believe as much as they think from the Word of God as you do. And so keep that in mind. And as we look through these things, it's just important as to go through it. Uh, I think I, I will impress upon your mind this morning how important it is to learn to love these people and to care for them. And uh, so let's take a dive into it. I always like to just jump into it. And so I'm going to read to you from Romans 14, 2 through 6. Romans 14, 2 through 6. It says here, <clears throat> in Paul's day, this was prevalent. I mean, they had some big issues in their day. And the issues that Paul had in his day, we don't seem to have these same issues in our day. They're more or less, for the most part, forgotten. The issues we have in our day was not prevalent in their day. And so that in, seems to insinuate to me that what we have today and another day may be not even heard of. It may be set aside, and there will be issues in the future that we may have never even heard of, or may, may have not even thought of. And so that's how... These issues I'm talking about are, they may be big in one time, at one time and not big at another time. And I say that to show unto you that um, sometimes we make a bigger issue of issues than we ought to. And at the same time, they are very important to us. Okay? In this passage, we have some things that are set before us, but let me get started to it. Two through six. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs or vegetables. Let not him that eateth despiseth him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth, and, and let him not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. I want to leave this in your mind the whole time I'm preaching. That the people that we're talking about that don't agree with the things that we're real staunch on and we're having a difference with them over. I want this to, to be in your mind. Because another thing I want to plant in your mind while I'm preaching is that everyone we're speaking about is a true believer. And we think they're a true believer. So we're not having any differences to that. Every one of these people are true children of God. And we even acknowledge it ourselves that they're true children of God. And God hath received him. Why don't we? Right off the bat. God received him. Why do we not receive him? Keep that in your mind. Keep that in your crawl the whole time we're going through it. Uh, okay. Two through six. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He standeth and falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him, to sta make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. I mean, which one are you? Be fully persuaded that you're doing right in the one you choose. 
He that regardeth the day regardeth it to the Lord, unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he does not regard it. Either one can serve God in the way he's looking at these things and serve God and God accepts it. I mean, is that what he says? God has received him. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. So it's like in the end it comes to the same conclusion. They're both doing it for, for the Lord. They're doing it as pleasing unto the Lord. Now, the main text I'm going to is Romans 14, 13 through 23. Uh, excuse me, Romans 14, 13 through 23. So let's get down to there. Verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And so what the Lord is saying here is it may be not be something that is sinful. But to you, because it looks sinful to you, if you would do it, it would be sinful. Because you would be doing it actually... Be- in defiance of the Lord, if you didn't, if you, if you, you know, if you didn't do it, I don't know whether I said it right there or not. But, but what I'm saying is this: if you deem something is not right and you do it, you're doing wrong, even though it wouldn't be anything normally wrong with it. That's what Paul's saying here. We do things that may not be spelled out in Scripture very plainly, yet our conscience forbids us to do it. And you don't go against your conscience in these things. And that's an important thing because that's what most of these things are based upon. We go against our conscience about doing something that's not necessarily spelled out objectively in Scripture. That means, oh, thou shalt not emphatically say it about it, all right? But to us it is em- emphasized and Scripture, and we deduct through the Scriptures, it's probably not right in our minds. Subjectively, we come to that conclusion. So, in reading these things, we see that there are major differences between Christians. We, I call them major because they separate people separate because of them. And to us, they are major. They, they are, there's a lot to be said about them. And so, read it on. Uh, but if thy brother be grieved, in verse 15, with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. I think this is a central theme of what I'm preaching on today as we read this verse. Let us therefore which follow after let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. And things which and things wherewith one may edify another. Let that be what we focus on mainly with these people. Not our differences when we sit get around each other, but with the things that make for peace and the things we agree on, the things we love and know about God that we can know that we're right on. 
For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. In fact, Paul said in another place, offended his brother for him to eat meat. And Paul is pretty much letting us know that he is he, he eating meat is something he probably enjoys. Eating meat is something he does. There's nothing wrong with eating meat as far as he's concerned. But for a weak brother's sake, what did he say? I won't eat it till the day I die. I won't. I'll, I'll, if it offends my brother, I'm not going to do it. Has thy faith have it to thyself before God? Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. If there's something you're and that you allow in your life that even others may not see the same as you in it. Be happy in what you've allowed in your life. If you don't see anything wrong with it, do it and do it heartily as unto the Lord. Right. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And... Having read that, I'm going to ask the Lord to bless. Father in heaven, please bless what we've read today. And I pray that we can bring the best out of this, O Lord, for our needs and what we, Lord, what we believe and think to be the right way to live before you and before the people of God. Lord, our lives are not hid. Lord, what we do is seen by others. We are essential in the sense what we project if we're not hypocrites. Lord, we're an open book. And sometimes, oh Lord, our lives are, are a sermon to others. Sometimes we're the only ones they see that, Lord, that glorify you. And Father, let us live our lives before men that they may see good works and glorify you in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. I said yesterday that, and read to you a verse that says, by this, Jesus talking to his disciples said, By this shall all men know that you are, my, you are my disciples, by the love you have one for another. It is a proof or something that can be seen by law, not just by God's people, but lost people. Behold how they love each other. That they will see that we're disciples of the Lord by the love we have one for another. I certainly express to you how much love I felt here coming here. And if others could see this, I don't think they could deny that we that there's a love that God's people have here one for another. It's a precious thing. In fact, it's so expressed that in the Old Testament you see where it's expressed. Behold, Psalms 133, you remember? It starts out the word, behold, look upon this. Watch it. What an amazing thing. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together, what? In unity. It's like precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that ran down to the skirts of his garments. For there, in that situation, in that environment, God commanded the blessing, what did he say? Even life forevermore. That's where God's dispensing life. Have you ever thought about that last sentence? For there God commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. 
where brethren are dwelling together in unity because all men know their disciples by that love they have one for another. It's a testimony of the world. These are people of God. And it's demonstrated by that love. How unfamiliar the world is with this. And this is where you see a demonstration of brethren that dwell together and love each other. And they dwell together in unity. Love for each other. I pray that that would mark us in this generation. That people would see that. Now there are two things in verse 13 where I was reading. It says, let us not judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So right there, there it is. We have a, a, a don't, and then there's a do. A do is in verse 19. Where it says, let us, there, let us therefore. So let us not therefore and let us therefore. Let us not judge one another and put a stone block in the brother's way. And in verse 19 it says, but let us follow after the things which make for peace. That make for peace. And where we can edify one another <coughs> and make for peace. One of the greatest tools the devil has, I think it's obvious to all of us after we've looked down through the centuries and seen this over and over and over again... That the devil, not a militias, know how important it is to divide and conquer, huh? And there's nothing Satan likes better than to to divide God's people. And he's had great success at it, by the way, as we've seen down through the years. It's a a real successful tool the devil has. He's done a marvelous job of even even dividing true believers. And uh, so I'm addressing this. I'm addressing only true believers today. I'm addressing those for whom Christ has died. Those of whom he's loved for all, from all eternity. The Father freely gave his only begotten Son that they might have everlasting life. I'm talking about all these people. Those that he's given all things that pertain to life and godliness to the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, says 2 Peter 1.3. These are the people I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that God says in Romans 8, one of the most famous verse, uh, chapters in the Bible, verse 28. These are the people that all things work together for good. These are the ones that are, those that are called out by God, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. These are those that God did foreknow. He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, moreover, these are the same ones that he did predestinate. These are the ones he called. These are the ones he justified. These are the ones he will also glorify. I'm saying all this to let you know that there's no doubt in your mind that these are people that God has set his love upon from all eternity and has sent his son to die for. They're loved by him. And they must be loved by you. They must be. Psalms 37, I mean Psalms... Eight, I'm not even in Psalms. Romans 8, 37, I was looking at 39. 37 through 39. Well, I'll read 38 and 39. For I am persuaded, says Paul in Romans 8, 38. I am persuaded, I'm convinced, I'm fully, I'm fully Amazed by this and persuaded of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. When he finishes this, I can't think of anything else. 
nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. They can't be separated from God. Why are they so easily separated from us? That's the question you ask. These are people that the Lord will never let anything come between Him and them. He never leaves them. He never forsakes them. But we leave them. Sometimes we forsake people that differ from us on sometimes not even great issues. I want to, I want to put this in and preach this as hard as I possibly can. I want us to know how important it is for us to have the same love for even those that we don't agree with on every little jot and tittle. How we ought to love them in spite of all that. In spite of that. <clears throat> now, does these things include only a few people of God? No. What I said applies to every child of God. Every child of God. If God so loves one of these so much as He's done all this for, how dare we let anything cause us to hate and resent those that our Lord loves and gave so much for to secure their lives, their happiness, their well-being, their love and their trust. I want to do what God does toward God's people as far as loving them, encouraging them, just doing everything I can to promote the welfare, the happiness, and the joy in another believer's life, to edify, to build them up. God has given them all power to become the sons of God. John 1 says, I think it's verse 12, that believe on his name. Paul said in you know, in the two verses I read, nobody, there's nothing and nobody that can even separate them from that love. When our Lord first began his ministry in Nazareth, he, opened, he went in the synagogue and he opened the book and he read to him from Isaiah 61. Now I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 61 where he's quoting because I like what it said there really well. He said this, he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give the, unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the plant of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Brothers and sisters, this is what the gospel does to us. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful? What a blessing. He does it to all God's children. But there's a word in there we all love, and I love it with all my heart. He has done this to proclaim liberty to the captives. What does that mean to you? Aren't you thankful you've been set at liberty? Perhaps we forget sometimes what liberty has done for us. We forget the liberty that God has given us because we, don't, we forget we were once bound. We were once captives. We were once slaves. Ephesians 2, 2 and 3. Where in time past, ye, you, me, 
Ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, and the lusts of our flesh fulfilled the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, like everybody else, even as others. But liberty has been proclaimed to you who were captives, and you no longer sit under that regime of evil. You've been set free by God. We've been liberated. Praise God for every bit of that. These are the people that Paul is addressing. But something strange has occurred. Or is it strange? They are these born again, true children of God at odds with each other. Many, because of the different views of serving God, causes them to overlook the greater commandment that God has given them to love one another. Isn't that amazing? There's no if and ands and buts about loving one another. We're to love one another. It doesn't mention all these little things, the differences we have. It overrides them. They do this, they do that. They don't do this like this. They don't do this. They have a different way of worshiping sometimes, it seems. Thou shalt love one another. Everyone we bring up, well, they have different views on the Sabbath than we do. Thou shalt love one another. They have different views on baptism. Thou shalt love one another. It's an overriding, it's an overriding command. That none of these can, it's like, nothing shall separate us. If we're true children of God, nothing should separate us in our love and care for each other. Because God has commanded that. When believers, believers begin to think they have a green light to belittle, to separate, to resent, to become unkind, to be mean-spirited, to other believers who th- see things a little differently than they do, they do much damage to the kingdom of God. With objective truths directly revealed in the Word of God, I am not talking about that. So get that out of your mind. We must not, we cannot disagree. The resurrection, you believe that will go to hell. I mean, there's things in Scripture we cannot deny, we will not deny. And I'm just, I'm not going to go through and mention all, there are many fundamentals of the faith we do not deny. The Bible is the Word of God. You either have it, or you, go, or you, you either follow the Word of God, or you're, you're pagan, as far as I'm concerned. You're not a child of God. If the Bible is not the ruling guide of the church, it's not a church. There are things that we cannot give up, that we will not relinquish. We're not talking about those things. Talk about things that are subjective. By subjective conclusions that we work out and our understandings of what the scriptures are leading to, maybe. That's where our troubles are. And to guide us through this dilemma, Paul gives us guidance by reminding us a few things we might have forgotten about ourselves. I get kind of embarrassed sometimes when people start saying good things about me. You know, say, say something bad about me. A lot of times it won't affect me near as bad as whenever I think people are saying too many good things about me. And I'm reminded of a verse in Galatians 6, verse 3. 
when I hear people talking about, oh, Brother Gil, we love you and all this. And I, I'm thankful for that. Don't get me wrong. Nobody loves to be loved more than me. I mean, I love to know that, that I'm loved by, you know, by the people that I love, especially. But the Bible says also this, and I, I must keep it in perspective. Galatians 6, 3 says, For if a man think himself to be something, then it lets all that out of my balloon the very next phrase. He says, when he's nothing. And that's me. I'm well aware I'm nothing. And I'm, I'm thankful to God that I have a perspective of this nothing. That without God, I'm absolutely, absolutely nothing. The only good you see in me did not come from me. If you see anything good at all in me, God put it there. If any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So, brothers, I'm not deceived. I know I'm nothing. And what a blessing it is for you to see that of yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And the Bible tells us that for a reason. So that we would not think when we look upon somebody else about them being nothing, you know better. You know better. And the Bible tells us that to keep us these things in perspective. That the goodness that we have is not anything we inherited from Adam. Don't you realize that? What does he say about this goodness? There ain't none good. Not a single one. Nobody. None that seeketh after God. No. They're all going out of the way. And 1 Corinthians 8 verse 2 also tells us something about all this knowledge we think we have. We think we know all about what we're arguing about them about, don't we? I know and I'm persuaded that I'm right on this and they're wrong. Well, the Bible says something about you in this verse here and me. I'm not excluding myself either. 1 Corinthians 8, 2 says, And if any man... Okay, I got you all there. I'm afraid don't try to escape you there. I am too. If any man think he knoweth anything... I'm talking about everything you know too. Not only about you, but everything you know. Everything I know. If any man thinks he knows anything, it's almost like saying, well, a bunch of dumb wits. <laughs> None of us know anything as we ought to know it. Okay? And that's what it says. And if any man thinks he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. We think we got it all figured out. And I really appreciated my dear brother yesterday. I think I don't remember it was yesterday. But I think it was yesterday. When he was talking about when he used to baptize babies, you remember? He thought he knew everything as he ought to know it on this subject. Only later found out he didn't know nothing yet as he ought to know. <laughs> and it was his own confession, so I'm, I'm telling you what he said. And he said it with joy in his heart because, hey, there's, there's something... I, to be recognized about something that you knew that was wrong, I mean, that you believed that was wrong, there's something greater to be said that because God showed it to you and you were set at liberty from it. Yeah. And so this is a glorious thing. If any man thinks he sits here in the church, he's been, a, been sitting in the church for like 30 years and he's never been wrong, 
He never had to change his mind about anything. I don't know such a person. I never met one. And uh, if I met him, somebody that thought that, I would leave thinking, he don't know himself very well. And so the Bible tells us that. And, I, he, the, and it's a good admonition to all of us. If anyone thinks he knows anything, any person thinks he knows anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. And then 1 Corinthians 13 has two verses in the thing also helps with this matter. And it says, and I'm not going to read the whole verse, but the part of the verses in these two verses, 9 and 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and 12, that hits the mark again. It says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. So when I'm preaching to you on this subject, I'm not telling you everything there is to know about it. I just tell you the little God is, I feel like God's shown me about it. There's much more to it than I'm able to bring before you because I don't know anymore. <laughs> I know in part. So my knowledge is always imperfect. And the, verse th- 12 confirms that too. He says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. I only know part. I don't know the complete revelation of God and all these things I preach about even. You don't either. But then, now come a time when we will know. I'll leave you with that. And it won't be on, I won't be on this earth. So when we take issue with another brother, these things must not be forgotten. Our sin is greater than even his. Even if you're right on the matter and you differ in him, if you think you've got the final answer and everything in the argument and he's to be cast off because you're so right that you feel justified and pushing him away from yourself. In Paul's day, there was a continuous controversy over food. Well, in Louisiana, there's never controversy over food. We love it all. It seems little to us now because of so much contention then. <coughs> but Paul says in verse 15, Destroy not him with thy meat. And I take that to be not only the meat of the food that he was eating, but a generic statement also that could be applied to a lot of our other difference. Don't destroy another brother with your meat, with the intake you've taken into you about a certain subject that you think that you are justified in everything you do in that, in that one area. And he's cautioned, don't destroy another brother with your knowledge of what you believe on, on this particular thing especially one for whom Christ died destroy not thy, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died once more he's reminding us this is a child of God don't destroy him with your excelling knowledge over him in Romans 14 verse 3 <coughs> once, more, <coughs> once more remind you for God has received him you might not receive him, but God has received him. Bitter contention over food was a great matter in that day. And uh, we're reminded that there are different things in our day that are great, of great matters. Today we're swamped with many differences. <clears throat> and there are differences between true children of God. Now I've listed some of these, but believe me, uh, the more I thought about them, the more I realized, hey, that, man, this list does not end, it doesn't seem like. There are differences over baptism, a lot of them, not just 
infant baptism and believer's baptism, but modes of baptism and <coughs> thoughts on what baptism represents and so forth. Then there's, of course, the Lord's Supper. Differences over that. There's differences over eschatology. And man, there's quite a few different views on that. <coughs> Which Bible version? Instruments in church. This people have separated because some don't believe in instruments at all. Some do. One guy told us one time, was preaching to us, and, and it was the only diff, major difference I saw in what we were talking about, what we had talked about before, was instruments. He told us we ought to put concrete, not poor concrete, not piano. So this thing is bad enough as it is. <laughs> I like what a guy, an old preacher, Pharaoh Griswold, said one time. He said it, it was commanded in the Old Testament. It was not condemned in the New Testament. He said, I, I don't think I'm on bad ground by having music, you know. But nevertheless, we sh- don't let your what you believe to be something you're sure of turn you against another brother because he disagrees with you on it. They don't want, if they want to sing out a that's fine with me. And don't make it a matter of controversy. But there's more than just that. It just goes on and on. Man, we start talking about differences that people have. It's amazing. What to sing? Some people won't sing anything but the scripture verses. Some people sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Man, I, I'm so thrilled to hear some of these songs. Songs like prayer sometimes. They exalt our feelings toward God as we sing them. You, some of us talk about John Newton and what a great songwriter he was. Man, you read these songs by Isaac Watts, they're sermon. They're sermon in themselves. Francis Scott Key wrote the Star Spangled Banner, but that was not his greatest song as far as I'm concerned. Lord, with glowing heart I'd praise Thee for the bliss Thy love bestows, for the parting grace that saves me and, from the, and the grace from which it flows. Lord, it's just over and over you just love the words of this song. Women's dress. I have not seen a verse in the Bible that says, thou sh- Women, thou shalt not wear pants. I'm sorry, I haven't seen it. You may deduct it as something that you feel like women should not wear what men wear. That's true. But on the other hand, you go back in the Old Testament, I don't admit, I never read of a single man wearing pants. That ointment that was on Aaron's beard ran down to the skirts of his garments. Of his garments. And we read those things. They wore the same thing. So the normal dress was not the, the, the dress of women not wearing what pertained to a man didn't prepare didn't pertain to normal dress. Well what was it? The only thing I can that I can even conceive of it must have been military wear. Maybe the armor men wore. A woman shouldn't get out there and put on fight normal, maybe. I don't know. I don't have we don't I don't have a reference to it. There's a lot of things that we have in Scripture. It's not a direct reverence to, not a direct verse. It's what we call subjective. We deduct from the Scriptures that this is for, should be forbidden. But there's women pants. There's men pants. If it's sinful for a man to wear, for a woman to wear pants, it's for, for a woman to wear them. I mean, a man to wear them. I mean, we make big things over this. 
And there's pros and cons. I don't know everything about this. I'm not going to pretend I do about anything about veils either. I mean, that's another issue. Genuine believers believe pro and con to all these things. Church government. The Sabbath issues. And I truly have never seen a Reformed Baptist or anybody else that kept the Sabbath the way it's kept in the Old Testament to start with. And I can tell you this, I don't even know all the rules to it. Multiple eldership, church government. I said the list goes on and on. I mean, where could you stop? But the bad part about it is that like food and circumcision, another day and age it might be done away entirely. Nobody will remember this argument. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. For brethren, you have been called into liberty. And that liberty is to worship God the way you think is right. If you think it's wrong not to have a veil in this congregation, then put your veil on. If you think that it is wrong to wear pants, women, you don't ever put them on. If you think it's wrong To be baptized anyway, but believers' baptism, don't you dare do anything else. Go to a place that preaches that does anything else. The things you believe and the things that you believe will be right, you follow. That's liberty. But it does not necessarily mean that you're absolutely right in your conclusion. And if you think you're right, then you don't know nothing yet as right as you think you do. Neither do I. And I don't pretend I do. <clears throat> but I'll say this Paul says in Galatians 5 13 through 15 something far more important than us fighting and arguing over things of this nature he says for brethren you have been called into liberty and it's a blessing to have liberty only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh but by love serve one another you understand what he's saying? Those differences are not important as this. Plain and simple. For all the, all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he adds the consequences to it if you don't. Pretty plain, isn't it? Just read here what it says. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And and that's what happens generally. It's when you get to arguing over these little things, and I, can't, I call them little things because in light of the greater things, they are little. The greater thing is, I cannot cease to love my brothers just because they differ with me on one of these subjective conclusions that we come to. When God's true people cannot agree on an issue, irregardless of how strongly you feel that you're right, you must acknowledge that the other brother or sister who opposes you feels just as strongly in the opposite direction and is just as persuaded as you are in that same matter. We sometimes tend to completely discount 
what other arguments are against what we believe, as though we could, we're the only ones that can be right and they're always wrong. We always seem to think that 1 Corinthians 8 verse 2 pertains to that other person. You know, if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet. Uh, he thinks he knows, but he don't know, he don't know as much as I do. We always think it pertains to him but not us. The word anything includes anything. We know no matter as rightly as we should. Galatians 5.14 says, God has set another law of God higher than our self-righteous arguments. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Galatians 5.15 says, If you bite and devour one another and consume one another, that's what you accomplish. You've not settled the argument either. You've just bitten and torn each other to pieces. Satan is one. He's divided the people of God. Divided them over something that neither one of us knows everything about. The Bible plainly says that. Our views on these things, <clears throat> there are many more. We have placed a higher value upon them than we have what God says is the higher thing. We place what we wear, what we eat, and all these things we've read about, we place that over loving our neighbor. And God said, huh, that's not the great. The greater one is love thy neighbor. Love the brothers. Love each other. You place your view above God, then that's the sin of it. As more important than what God has set before us. Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Matthew 22, <clears throat> 35 through 40. says this, Then one of them which was a lawyer asked him a question and tempted him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is likened to it. In fact, this is the, the, the great one. And compared to that one, it's the same in greatness. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. To fulfill this is to fulfill all the law and the prophets. <clears throat> you place your arguments above that, and you place in what you believe above the great commandments of God. Arguments over baptism, the Lord's Supper, eschatology, and all these things <clears throat> are not the great commandment. They're part of what constitutes the great commandment. And our views... On all these are worthless and sinful and displeasing to God if you make the matter to be one that disregards the great commandment of God to love each other. The, great, the greater commandment is objective. <laughs> this is the one you don't have to deduct from anything. Is plant, thou shalt love thy neighbor. So that's a command, a direct command. It's there, written, spelled out. No argument there. So arguments concerning these other things might be things that we think are really right, but they're highly subjective in many case, many uh, case uh, conditions and cases. And we've taken them to be right. Our personal liberty allows us to do that. To do things for the Lord that may not be necessarily written as a command. And they are a great blessing to us as part of the liberty that we have. But we can't enforce them upon other people. Subjective things that we reason from Scripture 
may not be necessarily wrong, and it may even be a blessing. I mean, we have many other things like that. I have one name a few, like, how about these Christian holidays? I met people just about fight you over the issue of Christmas or Easter or one of these. Not eating meat on certain days. We fast on certain days, many. If the Lord's people do some of these things to the glory of God, if they're not trying to force you to comply, other people to comply with, or they're not doing it. You know what the Lord said even about fasting? It says, don't look like you're fasting. You know, don't get out with that pitiful look like, oh, like as if you want everybody to know you really suffered when you was doing it. And it's wrong to do that. You don't appear like you've been doing it because between you and the Lord. That's the glory of it. Between you and the Lord. You're not trying to impress anyone with it. And so, this is why a lot of the things that we have that are given to us in that manner, that, is, that are our liberties, we love to do things in spite of what other people are doing for the Lord. And nobody will know about it. You know, Proverbs 13.10 says something else too. And most of you know this verse. What causes contention anyway? That's the word that begins this verse. Only, only by pride cometh contention. But with the will of eyes there is wisdom, is wisdom. Our pride many times is stronger than our faith. It makes us in anger to say we have such a just cause. It may be the only difference we have with another believer. Something that is just one little immovable barrier between us and them. And there are many beneficial allowances in our lives that we need, that are pleasing to God, that are not necessarily commanded, but they're greatly beneficial in our walk with God. I'm going to give you one. I was really impressed by this. You know, I think some of our of our things that we allow are so important that they might even be worth dying for. You understand that? I know you right now you say, I don't know, Brother Gilbert, whether I believe that or not. Tell me more about it. I'm going to give you one. It was worth dying for to this person, and God blessed him for it. It was brought up by one of the other preachers, I think, here this meeting. It was in Daniel chapter 6. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. <clears throat> I was just going to tell you about it. But being I'm the only preacher here today, I'm taking advantage of it because I don't feel like I'm bound by time as much as I was yesterday. So Brother Pat didn't tell me anything today. <laughs> Daniel chapter 6. Does that mean I can have all the time I want, Brother? <laughs> I feel like when somebody tells me that, I feel even more guilty about taking more time. <laughs> but anyway, and this, is a, this is a great blessing to us. I want you to look at this. Daniel 6, verse 5. It says, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. I wish that was the only thing people could find wrong with me. Don't you? You'll never find anything wrong with old Gilbert except one thing might be concerning his God. And someone's, that'd be the highest compliment you could ever get as far as a real believer's concern. And Daniel was a, 
a great man of God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king. And I'll just tell you about this. They made the king sign an edict for, the, for a whole month. 30 days. And it'll be this. All the presidents of the king of the and of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the councils, the captains, and all these important people, establish a royal statute to make it a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any man, of any god, I mean, or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Well, the king signed it. And then we get down to what Daniel normally did. What Daniel normally did. Now when Daniel knew verse 10, Daniel knew the sign. He was one of the important men of the kingdom. He's like the first of the presidents even in that time of Darius. And now when Daniel knew the writing, I want you to listen to this with sign. He went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So Daniel has a this is a liberty Daniel has. This is a Christian liberty. This is a this is the this is a, the glowing example of what I think is the blessings of Christian liberty. It interferes with nobody else normally. Daniel is Done this all is for we don't know how long he's been doing this. We don't even know if anybody else was aware so much he was doing it, doing this. I think they just passed by and saw him do it. They were looking for something and found it. So Daniel was not advertising this. He was not pushing this liberty head on everybody else. If you don't look toward Jerusalem and play three times a day, something wrong with you, bud. You have cold. A cold, dead faith is what you have. You're not right with God. Don't see any of that. No accusations. Not even seems to be a knowledge of anyone else in the land he's even doing this until this happened. Then we find out he's been doing it for a long time. As he has been do, do, already been doing for a pretty good while. And so Daniel goes to that wonder. He knows full well he's going to be seen, I believe, because he, I think he's fully aware they were looking for something to accuse him of anyway. But what, how much does it mean to him? You know, he could have just said, you know, Lord, 30 days, I'm just going to let this ride. I'm going to come back and start doing it again after these 30 days. It's over and the edict's over. How important is our liberty and the things we do to serve God in our own way? I love to get up early in the morning and walk outside and look up at the sky and pray when it's still just breaking day. And I don't think my wife even knows how often I do this. I mentioned every once in a while, but it's like almost a habit of mine. I look up toward heavenly Jerusalem. Yes. And I just look with my eyes open. This is one time when I don't close my eyes when I pray. I look up with awe at the greatness of my God. I'm looking at things He has made. My my mind can't conceive of those things I'm looking at. They're so far away, so big, so the vastness of what I'm looking at is so great, I can't even conceive of it. And I say, oh God, what is Gilbert? What is man? What am I that you're mindful of me? 
Why was I important enough that you, for all of eternity, set your love upon me? And God, I'm so much of nothing. I don't deserve anything. Yet I've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. All because of your love and mercy. Some of you may not be a Christian here this morning, today at least. You don't understand the great love of God to look down upon a wretch like me. And I know what John Newton says, to save a wretch like me. We were all wretches. But what a wonderful God reached down and snatched you out of the pit. He brought me up out of the miry clay. I love that song. Daniel thought this was important enough to die for. If they make an edict in Simsport says, I can't go out and look up there and pray, I'll have a hard time battling that. I hope I'm brave. I'm not going to be stupid enough to say, I will do it. Like Peter said, though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. You will remember that. What did he do? He was the very one who did it. Denied the Lord three times before the cock crowed. We must not think we're above what we are. But by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I hope I can do this without shame, without fear, or worry about what men say about it. It's my own little liberty. It may not seem much to you, but it means a lot to me. Men like Daniel. How much did it mean to Daniel? <laughs> He's going to be thrown in a lion's den because of it. It was a liberty. It wasn't liberty as far as man was concerned, but God gave him that, li- that freedom, that liberty to serve God in a way that was pleasing to him and just meant so much to him as he looked toward his beloved Jerusalem. Now, he was a captive, in, of course, in Babylon, but he looks toward Jerusalem, his home, where he was dragged from in his youth and prays before God. It's a touching scene to me. And he's throwing lines in. Brothers and sisters, this is Christian liberty that's profitable for us. I don't know what you do. I don't know what God has placed on your heart. Maybe it's just getting up and praying at a certain time. Maybe it's just little things you do. I, I can't imagine, you know, the things that you do that's a, that's a blessing to you that's only known probably between you and God and no one else. These are the liberties that are profitable for us and mean so much to us. Daniel, like I say, could have got away from it, but he faced the consequences and God delivered him. He delivered him. His custom was only his as far as I know. Romans 14, 19, and I conclude here. It says, let us therefore follow after things which make for peace. And things wherewith we may edify one another. And even if I have a difference, and and many times I don't even know what my difference may even be with somebody else. You know, we may have things we don't believe exactly the same. And sometimes I don't agree with myself, I think. But this is the way we are. We're in, we, we all see through a glass darkly. Grant a brother that. 
Grant, he just may not see it exactly the way you do. Will you do that? And would you instead make for peace? Thank God for him. Think what a precious thing it is to have a brother in your presence that you could have fellowship with. And she may edify one another. Don't get on that thing you differ with him from. You're not going to settle anything by sitting there fussing every time you see each other. Edify him. Talk about what a wonderful thing it is to have another day to serve the Lord. This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. How we can have fellowship there, can't we? And may we do that this day. May God bless you. I pray that this has done some good for you. Paul was willing to forego the liberty to eat meat for the rest of his life and offended a brother. Even though there was, wasn't nothing wrong with it for him to do it. I pray we'll have that kind of love for each other. So may God bless you. Father, bless this word. I pray, O oh Lord, that I've done, brought something, Lord, that will be a blessing to those that are here. And Lord, I know that I, Lord, I know I lack a lot of knowledge.